Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Everyday Journey podcast. Today I am joined by a friend of mine over several years. Uh, we met through some music circles and then became fellow New Yorkers, uh, explorers of life in New York. He works at a tech company, he's got a high responsibility job and he's very embedded into the city life with hobbies and social events and such so he's very much a new yorker originally from scandinavia and the topic of today is combining city life and a big city and a mega city like new york with uh, spiritual journeys and excursions into the magical otherworldly places uh, so welcome, Mr. Kurt Lundstrom. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be here in this little studio uh, that you've provided. Thank you. Okay, let's touch upon, as it's in my uh, tradition for this podcast, upon your upbringing. You grew up in Scandinavia and how your childhood went and maybe that how it relates to what you're doing today. Sure thing. So uh, I was born into a what I think is a fairly typical uh, Scandinavian household, and um, in my in my upbringing, my my uh, my parent, my one parent, my mom was a uh, Christian and uh, was a member of the uh, Salvation Army, which is more like a church in Sweden than than here. It operates more like a traditional church. Uh, so I was introduced to religion very early on, or specifically Christianity, of the Lutheran variety. And um, uh, it turns out that uh, once I got to a certain age and started becoming very curious about the teachings of Christianity and uh, started being more perceptive uh, about the people around me in, in the church, I started asking a little too many questions for the preachers. How about Santa Claus? When 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 did that happen? Uh, I whether, was whether it <laughs> I was terrified of Santa Claus. I used to hide in the cupboard every time Santa Claus came up until I was about three or four, and then that was revealed to me as something that was um, not real, probably because they wanted to me to. Oh, they had mercy uh, on, on you. They wanted me to participate in the Christmas festivities rather than hide. So. Uh, I don't know what age specifically, but maybe around five. I see. So they spared you. They 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 had mercy on you and they revealed that they didn't keep wasn't going. Real. Okay, okay, I see. But then later, what age are you talking about about the church? Uh, Fourteen, fifteen is 14, when I started uh, questioning uh, what I was being taught in the church and found out that that people were actually pretty uh, acidic and not not friendly when when you start asking too many questions. And then uh, I essentially became atheist as a result. And um, uh, when I was 18, 19, I moved to the United States. So, and I'd so been atheist up until that point. To clarify, you uh, were sort of were pushed to become an atheist by your skepticism about religion. No one really uh, groomed you to, to become an atheist uh, or to leave the, the church. That's correct. Yeah, no, I left uh, on my own. And because I realized I was becoming an empiricist and I only believed in the things that had actually happened to me rather than uh, what I was told uh, was, the, was the truth. It wasn't until much later that I was exposed to psychedelics and had 
a, a sort of an expand, expanded experience of what might be possible in the realm of you know, my own mind and my external world. And was it a quiet exit from Christianity before yeah. you left for the States? Uh, it was it was very it was rather quiet it wasn't uh, exciting or, or special in any way uh, it was just something that I didn't want to have anything to do with and my mom and my parents were supportive of that because they allowed me the freedom of choosing my religion how really how religious were your parents um, not ultra religious but um, my my mom would go to church um, once a month perhaps something like that i see just the, as a sort of a cultural sort of a touch point right? yeah and it's, yeah. Not, it's it's actually not very common to be as religious as she was in sweden mm -hmm. so in today's sweden religion is what sort of like a cultural historical relic it's it's more so than in, the, in a manner of speaking yeah so a small percentage of the population is uh considers themselves christian like as in practicing christian Mm -hmm, I see, um, and of course, much less uh, extreme. Like there's, there's really, literally, probably, not many people who are extremely Christian, fundamentalist Christian. Or no, not many, not yeah. many at all. Mm -hmm. So okay, then you moved to the United States in uh, at the age of eighteen. And nineteen. Nineteen. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I moved to the uh, southern United States, and um, through a various, various uh, ex exposure to electronic music and friends, uh, I was eventually introduced to to psychedelics and uh, my first uh, experience with, with LSD is really what opened me up to the possibility of other, uh, uh, you know, other layers of existence. Uh, so you've tried all kinds of psychedelics? I experimented quite, quite a bit and um, with various uh, chemicals and um, uh, some early research chemicals as well and I was very very curious about this and more um, just from not I, I was never intended to go out and party and get fucked up as much as I was uh, interested in what these chemicals were doing and how they could provide a different uh, perspective mm. so often they were consumed in at home and in a more contemplative setting so in my experience, uh, getting into this at a fairly early age uh, leads many people to a sort of an alternative lifestyle in the sense of aligning with the hippie movement, with a like, free spirit, um, sort of rejection of societal uh, frameworks, uh, capitalism, you know, these people are more socialist leaning. Because once you once you break free from 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 the shackles of you know of a, of a regimented society uh, through psychedelics, uh, you start having a new perspective in life, and that in my circles at least that meant that a lot of people uh, began finding a way to to survive by not going to the office, by not doing a traditional job. I mean, I don't know, they would grow weed or make some souvenirs that they could sell at festivals or something, or just uh, sleep on couches of people who went to the office to work. Uh, how was it for you? Uh, where did it lead you? Uh, I, I guess you could say that I was part of a, a subculture in electronic music and I was very involved in that and became uh, involved in one of the more hippie-leaning electronic music subgenres, psychedelic trance. 
and was part of organizing events and, and parties for, for a good number of years. Uh, although my career remained important to me and I, I uh, wanted to try and figure out a way to be able to explore both uh, paths uh, simultaneously rather than dive headfirst into being a hippie. And so you did not give up some kind of a career path. What kind of work um, was it? What, what were your aspirations? I've always to do? worked in IT. Uh, so I started out early on as a, um, I, w- I would call it an independent security researcher. I'm going to use the term researcher. Because, mm-hmm. uh, and then um, I ended up working in Unix systems administration for a good number of years. And I've always been a computer computer nerd, computer geek, um, and I was fortunate enough to work with my hobby, so therefore my, my work never felt like work, mm-hmm. so yeah. You think uh, if you worked at, let's say, some kind of a financial institution as a, I don't know, like a banker or something, or if you had some kind of a cutthroat uh, business venture, you think the psychedelics would um, influence you in, uh, in a different way? I did work for a time for a financial uh, financial services company and uh, I, I definitely became less interested in that world as I became more aware of uh, the psychedelic realm and mind expansion if you will but if I had worked as a um, uh, I don't know corporate drone or something I probably would have uh, wanted to exit that world more rapidly if I wasn't essentially working with my hobby. So fast forward to today, you are at a company that allows you to have a pretty white collar uh, lifestyle, right? let's say upper middle class, there is a career growth and there is responsibility and it's a, it's a technology company. Like, how do you combine that with the ever like mind expanding experiences? Now, now I have uh, an opportunity to work for a more socially conscious company. So that has been a thread where I've tried to move towards working for more and more socially conscious companies and that's almost certainly a direct result of uh, wanting to help help the world in some way uh, from having been exposed to uh, you know psychedelics and later on to uh, ayahuasca and mm-hmm. uh, the a-word yeah, and yahe as it's called in other traditions yahe mm-hmm yeah, maybe you can clarify for the listeners and for me, uh, socially conscious versus the other kind. Uh, like, how do you see uh, say companies of the size of your company, how do they differ in, in this world like in the, of technology companies? I would consider a socially conscious company a company that wants to have a positive impact on the lives of others through uh, some, some efforts to elevating their existence. So... Uh, a company like Twitter or uh, Spotify, uh, I consider them to be less socially conscious because they're they're very very cool, but uh, they're not, for example, providing access to housing opportunities or increasing the uh, access to education or allowing people to get insurance that otherwise wouldn't have it and so forth. Mm-hmm. Any examples of companies? that are well-known, that are socially conscious, that come to mind? Perhaps something like Oscar, which is a recent one, that, that uh, allows people to get insurance that otherwise wouldn't be affordable. Affordable insurance. Uh, well, there's a company that uh, allows you to 
give a, a small amount of money for loans, for example, uh, online. This like a almost like a loans as a service that allows people in third world peer countries, lending, peer peer lending services, for example. That's I think another example of a socially conscious company. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So you are in alignment with that uh, right now. Okay. So tell us about. Uh, the um, ways to experience ayahuasca. This, this, is, this is the strongest psychedelic experience that's available right now to, uh, I, so, to human uh, being. Uh, ayahuasca is a uh, traditional sacred medicine that has been uh, used and uh, taken by indigenous people for, for thousands of years in uh, many places around the world, uh, in South America, for example, but certainly other places as well that is um, uh, made from mixing uh, two, primarily two plants together that are not uh, psychoactive on their own, but mixing them together potentiates the main ingredient in one of the plants, uh, which is DMT. Uh, DMT is sort of the main ingredient that uh, causes you to have uh, access to spiritual experiences and visions and and dreams. Um, uh, so it's a f- fascinating how those two plants are, have been mixed mixed together, and um, it's almost impossible to ha- have that happen uh, randomly. Uh, but there's various mytholo- mythology around how indigenous people have found these two plants to put them together. But another interesting thing about DMT is that it's a naturally occurring chemical in the brain uh, that gets, for example, gets secreted at, at the end of life uh, before you uh, before you pass away. Mm, that's and when you see the the light coming from from the sky mm, something like that right? something like that yeah. what's the other substance or the plant so the other substance is an maoi inhibitor that allows the um, the primary ingredient dmt to uh, flow more easily into the brain and without use without using overly scientific explanation. It makes the DMT easier to uh, get into the brain. So this is also a natural uh, sort of plant? Uh, it's a plant, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was some kind of experiment, experimental finding a long time ago. No one probably knows how exactly it happened. So, um, and to experience that, was, was, first of all, what's the legal status of, of this? Uh, it's illegal in most, most countries in the world. But it is legal in some, yes, yeah, such as it's uh, Brazil, Peru. Um, it's recognized there that uh, it's something that indigenous people practice and uh, are allowed to participate in. Uh, so it's legal there, and of course, it's also uh, made some some level of tourism for for participation in these rituals uh, possible. People who want to have an ayahuasca party. All night long. So I wouldn't rec- I wouldn't uh, call it a party, <laughs> but uh, uh, certainly part come and participate in a in in a ritual um, in in a rainforest type setting. Yeah. So I know I know it's not a, a pure joy kind of um, substance. Um, it uh, makes your makes you feel very radically different from how you feel in your daily life. Uh, so if it's not uh, pure joy, so, uh, what attracts people to it still, and why there's is there a steady stream of tourism? I think it's the level of transformation that it can bring 
to people. Uh, I know that in my own personal experience, it changed changed my life immeasurably after after the first time, and uh, uh, every experience since then has been slightly different and uh, has brought many positive changes in my life and caused me to be uh, a much more outgoing person, get rid of unhealthy influences. Uh, I've stopped drinking alcohol, I've stopped eating red meat, I've stopped taking any sort of synthetic substances anymore. Uh, and uh, that's been fantastic for me as a person. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to struggle with this. Uh, you stopped, it's like, um you don't have any cravings of those things uh, after taking ayahuasca? I had brief nostalgic cravings, I would say, like it, because there are certain uh, events and uh, uh, participation in certain Western rituals <laughs> that I no longer uh, do as much. Like I don't go out and, and go, to the, go to a bar all night is not as interesting to me anymore. And, uh, but it did make it much 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 easier after having essentially having been told that I should do that for my health uh, in in one of my experiences I made it much much easier and gave me the uh, the willpower to just essentially stop cold turkey mm -hmm. so and and how does a, a ritual go uh, is there like a common theme of how it's done in different countries uh, or is it the same is it different originally so I've participated in ceremonies in Uh, Brazil and other South American uh, countries, there's, uh, I would say, a common theme, in at least in what I've experienced and, and read about. Uh, it's typically conducted by a, a shaman and uh, or in other areas. The shaman might be called something different, but it has a, a leader of sorts that is a, an indigenous uh, person that has been... Uh, it's not always indigenous, Uh, depending on where you go, but typically that's um, how it goes in South America anyway. Um, there are some dietary restrictions and preparations that you typically have to do before a ceremony. Uh, there's certain uh, foods and style of foods that you should avoid, such as fatty foods, fried foods, and spicy foods, because it will have a, a bad effect during, during the ceremony. Uh, Typically, the ceremony is happens day, going day into night, and um, there can be singing or uh, instruments being played, uh, and that is uh, usually the uh, a sort of like a, a lifeline for the participants in the in the ceremony. A lifeline uh, is in to keep keep everyone to keep everyone on this sort of uh, centered or or uh, in the same in the same space. Mm -hmm. It's so psychoactive that there's a uh, sort of risk of flying off too far, right? And that and that is also yeah, that's true, and that's also why the there's a a shaman, and the shaman usually has a number of helpers that assist him in uh, making sure that people are doing okay, and make sure that uh, uh, everyone's on you know in the ceremonial space that they're quiet, or if someone is having a a hard time or someone having an extremely joyous time that they are uh, either taking off to a separate space when if they make too much noise or they're having something else going on uh, so the helpers are also uh, participants in the ceremony and drink the medicine as well uh, so while they're assisting they 
they are also under the effect of ayahuasca. That's correct, because that allows them to be uh, accessing the same realm as the participants so that they can more uh, easily see or feel what's going on. The shaman also? Yes. It. So ev in that uh, jungle setting in Brazil, like everyone would be on ayahuasca. Yes, that's correct. There's no requirement for one or two people to be not under the effect. I think specifically they don't want that. Okay, I see, I see. But it doesn't mean that everyone is in the same world. Uh, in no, not at all. They, the experience is very individual. Um, and, and the way that people are expected to participate is different from tradition to tra tradition. There's the Santo Daime, for example, which is a more, uh, I want to say almost like Catholic-focused uh, group that also take ayahuasca, but they do it in a, in a church setting and everyone has to wear white and everyone stands up and sings hymns and uh, it's very structured. Uh, and in other traditions, it's much more individual and you can like lay on a straw mat and uh, you just lay there and have your own personal experience and or don't talk or interact with any of the other participants. Mm -hmm. And what makes people want to uh, participate in, in this uh, highly psychoactive uh, ceremony? Let's say Western people, people who have jobs, people who have lives and families and stuff. Because uh, you meet you meet people that aren't necessarily hippies in, uh, in, in their day-to-day -day life, right? I think it's people that are either seeking uh, a drastic change in their life or they're looking to address an addiction or deal with trauma or want to enter a new stage of stage of life or just to want to get um, close to themselves and figure some stuff out or or just go to the next level there's many many reasons for uh, seeking this out so typically people would go seek professional help um, psychiatrist or life coach or something like that yeah without this uh, and, and from what I've heard, it's comparable, except for it happens in a highly compressed uh, period of time, amount of time. So you can get the same or even more effective help than you would from years of therapy. I heard that comparison. W would you say for this it was kind of like that? I think, it, okay. I think it is like that and has, has been like that. I mean, I've, I also see a traditional uh, therapist that addresses needs of a different kind, I would say, but uh, certainly there uh, aren't very many uh, psychotherapists that can help you with spiritual needs so much, that, that at least that I'm aware of. Uh, but uh, my trips and experiences to South America and with, with ayahuasca has also helped address things that I've already been working on in my traditional therapy and have accelerated that so I think it's uh, beneficial to have a multi-pronged approach to uh, addressing issues in your life. Mm -hmm. yeah. How many times have you experienced that? I think uh, it's up to about 18 or 20. 18 or 20 times you've been on ayahuasca? Correct. 
And do you see this? Could it be a, a sort of an addiction of some sort uh, to I don't know to answers to to experiences or like how do you see that? Why why do you why did you make this part of your life and on an ongoing basis? For me, it uh, turned into a spiritual path, if you will. Um, it's something that I do on a regular on a regular basis to stay grounded and to. Uh, stay connected to my spirituality, myself, and uh, to deal with uh, regular New York City life and to um, just be a very grounded, healthy person. And, and I found that that works best for, mm. me, for me personally. Uh, I, I know with psychedelic experiences, it's most of the time impossible to um, correctly and accurately explain what the experience is like uh, to someone who have never done it uh, and uh, with psychedelic experiences psychoactive experiences they differ uh, for different people even for the same person right? so all of those almost 20 uh, experiences that you've had have they been completely different from each other or like did you find some kind of theme that unifies them there's certainly common themes, but they have all ranged from, I mean, they've been very different as well. In, in one of them, for example, I was not even aware that I had a physical body for six or eight hours, and I was traveling to alternate dimensions and seeing different alternate realities, and I couldn't even, I didn't even have a concept of my own human body. Mm. Uh, and in others, I am able to actually physically get up and walk around and interact with the world around me and go outside, or if I'm outside already, walk around and observe and even uh, potentially talk to other people. Uh, so that it varies a great deal what level of um, what level of psych psychedelic or psychoactive experience you have. Um, but they were all positive for you. They haven't all been positive. They have no, no. I've had some some dark ones and some terrifying ones uh, that were very difficult at the time, but have ended up in the long run being very useful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you weren't traumatized to the point of not wanting to ever repeat that, or in that moment you thought in maybe that, that moment I certainly was, and um, it wasn't maybe until a month or, or two months after that I was able to reconsider or, or, or properly integrate the experience to the point where I would uh, consider seeking it out again. Would you say some people shouldn't uh, venture into that? I think that it's a very personal decision and that anyone that's curious should research as much as they can about what the experience is like and there are some people that medically should not participate due to uh, interactions with medicines or um, uh, just in general medical conditions uh, or mental conditions uh, so um, for example if if you do research and you find a group or a place where uh, you're considering participating in a ceremony and they don't ask you for what medicines you're currently taking, that's a big warning sign and that's something you should not 
participate in. Uh, so there's definitely people who should not uh, seek it out. And, and I guess not every uh, shaman, not every group that organizes it has a, such a th- thorough sort of preparation, uh, uh, like a warning. It's better if, if they're knowledgeable about this, of course, yeah. So it's, if they're not knowledgeable, mm-hmm. then you have to be. Because, mm-hmm. you have, of course, you have to take care of yourself and do, do uh, the, all the information is available online, certainly with, with, with cross interactions with medications and mental conditions. You think it's possible that the next one you experience this, uh, you may so arrive to, at the point of not wanting to reintegrate back into your routine, like say you'd have an aversion to uh, city life or something like that. Is it, would it be, is it something possible? What would you, like, mm, at this point you're so spiritually, like you advancing, uh, are you concerned that you might not be compatible with, with your sort of material life? That has certainly happened to other people and, um, it's not something that I'm scared of or, or avoiding, but if it, if it were to happen, I would take, I have to deal with that and take that into consideration and modify my life accordingly. So far, any of the messages or inspirations, if you will, that I've gained from it have taken me to new, new levels that I didn't think possible. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely heed any uh, indications like that. And I have, I have a close friend of mine who after one he's actually a uh, very very uh, he's close with one of the shamans and uh, he has a successful new york life as well and um, in more recent ceremonies he's uh, he's come to the conclusion that he can't stay in new york so there's certainly something that can happen and, and why couldn't he stay in new york in his because the mind? city is too much there's too much energy too much uh, too much chaos and in order for him, for his personal experience to continue to evolve towards being more connected and spiritual, he he's moving to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So he's in the process of moving to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So that that, that um, well, with psychoactive experiences or without, uh, New York can do this to some people. You know, after a while, you may start noticing that it wears you out. That you want to um, sort of have an experience or have a lifestyle that is. A little bit more laid back, or the energy flow from millions of people surrounding you is a little too heavy. Uh, well, like personally, I I feel it, but I I sort of refuse to um, pinpoint or identify it immediately. I mean, I, I instinctively feel it, but it's like, oh, it's probably just in the moment. I just I'm just feeling it today. You know, usually it's it's, it's okay. It's not like that, but it probably takes a toll on you uh, to, to have so much uh, going on around you. And were you be, did you become more aware of this after all these experiences? I've become more and more aware, but also more, more grounded and able to process the energy of the city in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I still, I mean, as of today, I'm really thriving in New York City and no, no plans on, on moving and um, the the chaos and the energy of the city doesn't um, doesn't have a negative effect on me. I feel it also, but I think that uh, staying grounded and uh, using these ceremonies to do so has uh, actually helped a great deal mm-hmm. to okay. be able to uh, sort of have both both paths active. 
And, and during those ceremonies, have you seen any peculiar examples of people reacting to ayahuasca differently? Maybe some panic or... Since it's very personal, uh, I've seen people laughing, I've seen people crying and uh, having a difficult time and having to run run outside or people yelling um, and uh, people that are definitely in in another world and uh, wrapped up in in dreams that and uttering strange strange things uh, so there's the variety of experience is very very varied uh, the strangest things i've I've ever seen is probably a, a vision in which uh, this was uh, maybe a year ago now, in which uh, our president, uh, Donald Trump, was straddling a uh, very old artillery cannon that was shooting out dead babies. You saw that. I saw that in, mm -hmm. in a vision of mine. And then uh, that's something that I haven't quite been able to make sense of yet, uh, even though it is a fairly uh, morbid, strange image that... <laughs> I'm not sure what to make of politically charged, uh, yeah. politically charged vision. <laughs> yeah, and then just the the way that you receive information or visions or the way that things come at you is very can be very different. Sometimes it can be like a dream. Um, I mean, you get imagery much like you when you're dreaming, and other times it can be more. I'm speaking from my own personal experience here, of course. Uh, more like telepathy, where it's almost like talking to someone but without speaking, uh, but where the, the voice that you're, or the entity, if you will, that you're speaking with is distinctly different from you. Uh, other times it can just be a feeling that you get. Um, so there's very, very varied. And would you say, you think it's exploring the worlds that already exist in, in your brain, your mind, your memories, or it's like a gate that opens to other worlds and with this substance? I think it's both. Um, mm -hmm. You definitely get uh, a vision into your own uh, in, inner self and higher self, but I, I have definitely had my own experiences that have taken me to other worlds and other realities and I have um, no choice but to believe them because I uh, experienced I experienced them and saw them and it felt extremely real and I went back to uh, I mentioned earlier that I was an, an empiricist and I don't believe things that I haven't experienced myself and mm. uh, now I've experienced such a wide uh, array of different things that I just have to I just have to believe what I've what I've seen and felt so by now you'll, you'll believe anything <laughs> if it comes to me during uh, a you, ceremony, then... You became more spiritually gullible. <laughs> <laughs> you could say so, but uh, definitely if it happens in, in a ceremony, I'm very uh, likely to believe it has merit. So then does it make a, a... Is there a connection then when someone shares a religious experience with you? Can you relate to it more now, like with more credibility? Uh, I don't know, someone uh, reciting a, a, a biblical story as if it actually happened to them. Uh, I mean, could it be that some of these magical mythologies uh, that can be found in, in religious scripts uh, could have been a result of psychedelic experiences of our ancestors? 
It's a lo uh, loaded question, but mm -hmm. I do certainly think that other people's religious experiences are uh, just as valid as my own. I don't think religious experiences require psychedelics or any any substances to happen. Uh, I do think that there's texts and, and scriptures that um, could have been the result of, or could have resulted from the use of psychoactive substances. There's uh, uh, certainly lots of speculation to be done there, but I absolutely think so myself that uh, uh, some of the more fantastical scriptures could have, could have been as a result of a psychedelic experience. Sometimes it's probably like e easy to sense that there's something psychedelic uh, in there, and, and, and the, the way the story develops, uh, the way the imagery is put together. But also, religious texts are pretty fascinating in general. I mean, a lot of them are written as a form of, at least again, like a personal opinion, but as a form of analogy. So uh, either it could be serving as an analogy to get a message across or it could be the result of a psychedelic experience or any number of other things or it could be from from a dream and which is sometimes not that different from a psychedelic experience mm -hmm. yeah yeah and um if uh, so what's what's the typical path of uh, discovering uh, and experiencing uh, ayahuasca for someone because uh, there are people who've never heard of it never um, I never got any, got any information. I had very limited information about it, and, and kind of lumped it together with uh, illegal drugs and stuff like that. You know, how does one find it? What happens? I think the uh, the, the ways that you find it are uh, there's so many ways to to find it. Um, I can just hope that most. I mean, I do I do know that people uh, sometimes lump it in with 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 illegal. Drugs, but typically, what uh, what I found in the people that um, I know that have found it, uh, it's been something that have been rumbling in the back of their mind, or they may have lumped it in with other uh, very strong drugs that they never want to try. But then there's some sort of event that starts peaking peaking their interest in finding out more. Maybe a story like this, uh, like a, a, some information that you're sharing, may may make someone become less skeptical and more curious, right? And then there's plenty of information online, so once one starts digging, there's enough uh, sort of descriptions and uh, imagery and, and, and all this stuff. It's, it's not like it's such a taboo subject that you cannot find anything about it. No, these days it's very, uh, very easy to find information about it and to find uh, with just a little bit of research to find reputable locations and and uh, ceremonial uh, leaders to participate in these ceremonies with. Mm -hmm. And from what I've heard, that once you know about it, uh, it's only a matter of time before it finds you. That's definitely been my experience through for for myself and from from my friends who have also found it once. Once you become aware of it and become even in the slightest interested about it, you'll find a friend or an acquaintance uh, that that will tell you about it or will connect you with someone who knows more and it will find its way to you. 
Have you ever tried the mindful meditation retreat or something like that? Silent meditation, vipassana. I have not. Uh, it's uh, somehow makes me want to associate these rituals um, in that people who go for those experiences, I, I personally have not experienced it either, but I know enough about it to see that uh, it's people who are seeking answers and seeking some uh, restraint uh, to tame their um, uh, graspings and desires and, 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 and wantings of things and experiences that are out of control. They also go for, for meditation. It could be uh, mindful, it could be vipassana. Uh, regardless, it's, it's, uh, it's silent, it's lengthy, and it's transformational in that you have to really limit your cravings and your movement and your uh, just all the activities that uh, your life is full of on a daily basis and in order to realign yourself with with yourself with the world you know to, to get grounded and I feel like the intention of people who are looking for uh, ayahuasca experiences is of a similar nature right? to to uh, to sort of improve because the suffering comes from wanting something a lot of times but uh, not being able to get it or comparing yourself to other people and, and, and not getting the same thing hope uh, I think both uh, both uh, ceremonies help this cause yeah I think certainly uh, mindful meditation or transcendental meditation or even other uh, rituals share a commonality in that it's something that people seek out when they want to transform or make make a change in their life or are looking for answers and I think there's there's no there's no path that is better than than any other um, if it's something that provides value in someone's life yeah there's an anecdote about um, a world-famous uh, Buddhist meditator master uh, whose name I don't remember but he has been hearing about uh, LSD from many people and, and never tried it. And he, he, he asked someone who had access to it to, to get, get him some something strong so he could finally see, uh, experience what it is. So he's got a big dose of LSD and waited hours and, and it's like nothing happened to him. Like he's, and he said, oh, like I see, I see what it does. It, 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 I have arrived to the same point myself with years of meditation. So it really didn't have much. I mean, it, it has an effect on me, but I see exactly what I've experienced mm -hmm. getting to it. And so, yeah, ayahuasca may be like a shortcut uh, into the world where, it, or into the transformations that you may access by diligent practice of self transformation. But yeah, this is kind of a chance to take it all at once or experience it all at once yeah again it goes back to there being multiple multiple paths to get there and I think uh, uh, people who devote themselves to uh, meditation at that at that level can certainly get to the same the same level of uh, spiritual connectedness through uh, the level of meditation that they engage in. Okay, well, I think that uh, that was a, a good introduction for anyone who, who wants to try it. I appreciate your presence at this uh, interview, and or rather, in, informal conversation. 
I think that uh, this would be useful for people who don't want to give up uh, their life, their careers, their details, but still are interested in in, in um, life-changing psychoactive experience uh, where they can explore the realms of, of other worlds and their inner world. Thank you, Mr. Kurt. Thank you very much for having me. Until the next time.